Welcome to Try Talking Sport, the podium podcast for athletes, adventurers and endurance enthusiasts, hosted by me, Joanne Murphy. In this episode, I am mixing business with pleasure, attending a festive fundraising event for Roosevelt's Rooms charity in the Abbey Glen Castle Hotel in Clifton, whilst taking the opportunity to catch up with triathlete and adventurer Simon Smith, also from Clifton. Now, before we get into the show, just a quick note that if you are taking part in our 12 Days of Christmas Challenge powered by Nuco.com, well done. Not long to go until the challenge ends and Christmas arrives with all of the trimmings which we'll all enjoy on Christmas Day. Now, you may have seen on social media that we've taken delivery of our first ever set of merchandise, our new and exclusive for the moment, Try Talking Sport Bobble Beanies. Now, they are pretty cool, if I do say so myself, but stay tuned to our social media for more information on how you can get your hands on a beanie for Christmas. They are the perfect stocking filler. Thanks to Roy and Enda in Advertise for supplying them. Advertise are based in Galway but supply custom apparel and merchandise across the country and beyond for your next race, event or workplace. You can check them out on www.tease.ie. Oh, and don't forget to tell them that Joanne sent you. Now, back to today's episode. So Simon Smith has just returned from an adventure that saw him race at the Ironman 70.3 Marachek in Morocco in October. He then proceeded to jump on his bike to make a 30-day trek home to Clifton, Connemara, 4,000 kilometres, fundraising for the local Elm Tree Clinic and St Vincent de Paul as part of his challenge. He arrived back into Clifton and proposed to his partner Wendy upon his return. So there was great excitement when he arrived back into Clifton just a couple of weeks ago. Now, Simon's journey to this adventure is one of determination, passion and positivity, but it hasn't been an easy road. Ten years ago, Simon suffered from severe mental distress and depression as a result of being abused as a child. His mental, physical and emotional health were in a dire state. He ballooned in weight, was drinking heavily and addicted to his painkillers. At the age of 40, he reached out for help and was supported by his counsellor at the time to go back to a sport he loved as a child, which was running. And from there, the rest is history. And it was a turning point in his life. He is now an Ironman, having raced at Wales last year. And he now wants to help others by telling his story of how sport has helped him to recover his life. He's 50 years of age and plans to continue to train, race and take on many adventures for as long as he can into the future. You've, you've cycled from Marrakesh to Clifton, which is 4,000 kilometres. Where did it come from? Well, last year, um, Ironman announced that they were going to do their very first half Ironman in Marrakesh. And it's a country I've always wanted to go to was Morocco. So after I'd looked up the situation of booking for that race, uh, a month later, I decided I'd love to cycle back for charity as well. You know, I'm out there with the bike. Why not? It kind of saves a little bit of the hassle of getting the bike out here and the equipment. So, so I'm, I'm going to come back and talk to you about the challenge in a minute because you weren't always very sporty. No, and I wasn't. And looking at no. you today, you wouldn't think you weren't very sporty years ago. <laughs> I don't know, yeah. Ten years ago, I was about 20 stone in weight. I was suffering from depression. So I was eating all the wrong foods. I was drinking on top of medication as well for my depression. So I ballooned to 20 stone. It wasn't my natural weight. I mean, I was 16 stone, 15 stone maybe, naturally, so... It's a big change. It was a big change, yeah. So the first time I met you was actually at uh, at Ironman Wales back in 2018. 
Well, you actually, you didn't meet me, but uh, I did see you before and uh, you did have a small talk with me before in Galway. It, back in 2011, was it, or 2012? No, it would have been 2014, I think. Okay. I did my first sprint. Okay, so the Salt Hill Sprint Triathlon. Yeah, that was, that was the, the first time okay. I did a triathlon, so. You've come a long way since then? I have, you know, after losing the weight and getting the fitness bug. So what was it that led to you, I suppose, being depressed and, and, and having mental health issues at the time, do you think? Um, it started uh, when I was a young child. I was abused as a child. So okay. I kind of went from holding on to that. And I managed it for most of my life up until I was 40, but there was always in the background. Okay. And I, there was just little things that would trigger me off, uh, just anything that would stress me. And something happened at work, I just snapped. So how did you go from the, the point where you realised something was wrong and that you snapped to going to get help? That was the, the biggest key of me trying to help people with mental health issues is trying to express that the, the key is to talk. You know, an awful lot of people wouldn't do that. They'd hold it and they'd bottle it. And so I seeked help straight away. And it was the Elm Tree Clinic here in Clifton who were a big supportee at the time. At the time, yeah. I was kind of uh, sent to... Galway Hospital first and then they referred me to the for local treatment you know for because it's the local okay. centre so where did the piece about the sport come in where, where did that support come in to start running and cycling and yeah. swimming and start so I had um, uh, there was a gentleman there who was my counsellor and uh, he over the t- over time kind of figured out that what made me feel good about myself was exercise and athletics because as a young boy I was very good at athletics and sport and I kind of disappeared from that journey you know when you have a when you meet someone and you get married and you have kids and family that kind of life takes over yeah life takes over and it can kind of disappear for a Mm. little bit so and I kind of lost that sporty edge from about the age of 30 I did play football for a little bit in England when I lived there for a while and that was it really I, I I didn't do anything else so, so then you started running again at the started age of 40. Running, started running, picked up a few injuries, moved to Enniscorthy in Wexford. And then somebody said, try triathlon to counterbalance the injuries. So there was the, obviously the swimming and the cycling that takes the pressure off the joints. And I got the bug from there. Wow. And then, so, so then you did your first triathlon in 2014 in Salt yeah. I was doing, doing 10k runs regularly down in Wexford and... And locally here in Clifton, when I come up to Clifton, I was doing small run events. And then I did my first triathlon in Galway in the sprint. And then where did the journey lead you then to get to Ironman Wales? Because that is one of the most epic races in the world. (laughs) I know, yeah. Um, I did a couple of years of doing smaller events like most people do when they start. Some people jump straight into Ironman. Okay. But um, as I did research on, on the bigger events and... Ironman Wales just stood out above all the others, you know, and then there was obviously the expense, you know, so Wales is just across on a ferry. So I thought, why not? And I I have always pushed myself to try and do things that are harder. Pushing the boundaries. Yeah. And I thought, I'm going to go for the big one first. Okay. And you did? I did. I booked for Ironman Wales. And we called you across the finish line. Brought some of the family over. Yeah. Yeah. And that was amazing. That's got to be the greatest Ironman, I think, on the planet. <laughs> Just is amazing event. Well, it is. It is fabulous. I mean, the atmosphere that's there is, is like nothing I've ever experienced before. Um, and I've been privileged to be on, on the finish line with 
um, Paul and John and Jay for, for the last number of years. So it's it's been absolutely fantastic. But I want to talk to you about how you went from your depressed state from there to, to running, to losing weight, to then coming to triathlon. Like, where was the support coming from to be able to do that? Um, initially, at the start, the only support was through the Elm Tree Centre and the gentleman that was giving me the, the encouragement to keep going. But I suppose most of it was always from within. And as soon as he kind of made my mindset change and helped me, it was down to me to be able to change my diet, which was the biggest thing the first year around because I lost five stone the first year and that was mostly diet change more than the exercise and you were on medication as well for I was on medication yeah of antidepressants and I was on painkillers and so that must have like affected your system in many ways not just your own emotional and mental well-being but obviously physically as well yeah and I mean the painkillers I got addicted to the painkillers you know so so how do you come off the painkillers it was just mindset Uh, I think the Obviously, the internet world, too, had a massive influence on that because I was doing research on how to get off and the effects, and I always wanted to better myself. I had two young boys. So what I, ages were I they had. at the time? Um, Will, the oldest at the time, so if we go back 10 years, Will would have been 10, and Sebastian would have been four. So, you know, um, I did, at the start, it was all about them. I was trying to be a good father for them and I just wanted to change my life around you know they were too important for me yeah so you've made a big difference a big change now to your whole life oh it's been it's been uh, I don't know what they say is it the full circle circle, full circle definitely because I'm I'm nowhere near the same person I I, obviously I am but in my mindset I'm a very different person but you must you're very different physically to what you were 10 years ago as well oh absolutely yeah so what does a day in the life of Simon Smith look like at the moment um, <laughs> well, since I've come back from Morocco, it's not what it normally is. I'm still kind of recover, but on a good day, I would get up early. I would either do a bit of yoga first thing in the morning, or do a small bit of exercise in the gym. I have a gym at the side of the house, um, and obviously because I'm looking after my mother, then I have to go in and get the range on sort my mother's breakfast out and for those of you that are listening from outside of ireland the range is like the big stove in the middle of the kitchen where (laughs) the fire is in it and the food is cooked on top of it and everything is cooked on top of it it's in many a house in ireland uh, in modern and old houses across the country still cook on the range in my house so then i would try and get two training sessions done before lunchtime so once i've sorted my mother out then i would go off either on my long cycle or a run or do the weight training in the gym. And what sort of training were you doing up to Ironman 70.3 Marrakesh? I was doing anything between 10 and 20 hours a week. A week. So you were the almost professional. The average was about 16. Were you almost a professional athlete? <laughs> I'd love to be professional. But did you never feel like a professional athlete? Like, I mean, were you living the dream that you yeah. never thought you could have had 10 years ago? There's, there's little bits of me thinking I'm good enough to be professional. Yeah, well... But I'm I just... Mean, old 
well I mean there's age groups the whole way up that the oldest man that crossed the finish line in Conan was over 80 this year so there's nothing to stop you as long no. as your, your mind is I've strong and your said, body I'm is strong keep, I'm going to keep going until I get to Kona yeah well you know just keep going I think moving forward is the, yeah. is the, is the way to do it so uh, let's talk about the Smithy Did It challenge because this is really what uh, caught my eye obviously when um, we met in Wales officially uh, when we met in Wales I was obviously very intrigued about your whole weight loss journey and um, and that side of it and the fact that you had changed your life and your lifestyle to be able to do an Ironman proving really that anything is possible I mean it's not just your body that's changed it's your mindset your emotional well-being you've a new partner now you're engaged to be married to to Wendy getting married next year in September I believe so like your whole life has kind of changed through sport yeah and then you decide to book a race in one of the hottest destinations in the world in October slash November in Morocco. And then not only decide to race in the desert, but then cycle home. Yeah. 4,000 kilometers. So Why do that? Well, well, yeah. I mean, anybody who's listening is going to be thinking, holy moly, I've, what's going on? Uh, oh, After 10 years, I've always wanted, even the last couple of years, I've always wanted to do something for these two groups that helped me the most when I was suffering. You know, so you had the entry who gave me the counselling and the therapy and St. Vincent de Paul financially, they would help me and my family, even when I'd separated from my my ex-wife, that um, they they support us financially, you know. So my, my two boys as well. And I always said I'd um, do something to pay them back. Okay. Um, so doing this as a challenge, a charity, it's always been... A goal and I thought why not it's you know I mean I've always wanted to cycle back from Gibraltar to Ireland but an extra few hundred kilometers okay nearly 900 kilometers through Morocco it was just it was a opportunity I couldn't miss so talk me through the race so you did the 70.3 in Marrakesh in the heat yeah 34 degrees during the run that was just savage and had you practiced that in your own gym at home? I mean, were you in not the, wearing loads of fleeces? Yeah, and turning I was on out running. I was out running here during the summer with four or five layers on, trying to sweat through that just to build the the body core temperature up. And in the gym, then I was doing the same. I was actually putting a heater on in the gym to do the the turbo bike just to get the heat. Because I suppose you're based kind of in Clifton specifically, so there's not a huge amount of triathletes, I imagine, for you to train with. Here no. in Clifton, there's only one other gentleman I know who does triathlon. Yeah, the here. closest triathlon club is probably Galway, Galway in the city, but the roads are made for cycling out here. They're absolutely fabulous, oh, wide roads. It. They're amazing. We did all our training out here for Race Around Ireland and the Donegal Ultra. I mean, they're amazing, but I probably can get quite lonely uh, when you're out here training no. on your own or when no, you're in the gym. No, I actually love training on my own. Do you? I do. And then when you've got the views out here in Connemara, you've yeah. got the Carl Strand and the golf club, and that's my normal route back okay. and forth and then you got the mountains when you turn around so you it's can just, just take it all in oh it's blissful you think i'm blessed to live where i am that, and well, that it, is it's true. amazing and it felt like that when i was on the journey i mean cycling back through all these different countries and i had somebody say to me what was it like being out in those open roads where there was no cars it was just blissful really because was it like home it was a little Safe bit like heat. home um through spain in particular uh during the siesta and I was on the, as I would call it, the secondary roads and you could see the motorway maybe in the distance and everyone zooming past and in their cars and lorries. I had a road to myself. And how did you plot the journey home? So it was two continents. Yeah. 
So tell me, where did you where did you start? You started in... Started in Marrakesh. Yeah, and, and then made the way... cycled towards the coast first, because I was advised which route to take by the hotel staff that we where we stayed in Marrakesh, not to go the route I was going first. So they said, go this route. So I went to a city called Safi on the coast, and that was 165 kilometres of my first day across more or less desert landscape, which was just stunning, the colours and... The smells was just amazing, you know, the colours of the sand and the shapes and the way the sunlight hits things, just, it was breathtaking. You don't feel that eight, nine, ten hours of sitting on a bike because you're enjoying the environment so much. And so from the coast then, it was just all the way up towards Tangiers through um, Casablanca, uh, Rabat, the capital, and then up to Tangiers. And that took seven days. So... So the total journey took 30. So where did you go then from, then from day from seven? Then Tangiers, then we went across to Tarifa, which is a ferry port not far from uh, Gibraltar. And then from there I went to Cadiz, which is more of a westward towards Portugal, and then straight up from there through Seville, Merida, Caceres, Salamanca. And I was heading north the whole time, and then I kind of turned back a little bit eastwards towards the Pyrenees, so towards San Sebastian. And then across to, to France, France. And then straight up along mostly the coast. There was a few things that made me change route, you know, uh, okay. issues with the bike I had uh, in southern France, so I had to go through Bordeaux instead of along the coast. So this was on the bike that you bought from Halfords for 270 euro? 270 quid, yeah. <laughs> so what kind of issues did you have? I mean, did you even get a puncture? No, no punctures in the whole trip, which I was actually amazed by because I've seen lots of stories where people mm. have had five, six more punctures than you can imagine through, through a trip. But I did get really good tyres for this, you know, uh, for touring. And I had the um, self-healing, you know, the, the, the sealant yes, in inner the tubes. Tires, yeah. yeah, so, but even then, on bad roads, I never felt like I was going to get a puncture. And then, so you went to up France, up to Cherbourg. Up to Cherbourg. And then across to the UK. Yeah. So then, where in the UK did you... I landed in a place called Poole yeah. in Dorset, and my son lives in Bournemouth, so that's only about 20 kilometres from there. And my sister then lives in a small town called Swanage in Dorset, so that they're all kind of within 20 kilometres of each other. Okay, and then did you came across then from, ten, from Pembroke Dock across to Rosslare? Yeah, I had to cycle up towards the Severn Bridge. The okay. old one. That's yeah. the only one you're allowed to cross on a bike. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, that's that. amazing. Yeah. That, going across that bridge because you can feel the whole thing move with all the oh, lorries. Wow. Yeah. And then across southern Wales. And that's when the weather started to get really bad again. So you didn't make it up to uh, any of the Welsh roads that you'd done your first Ironman on? No, but I got far as um, Port Talbot. Okay. And then the we- there was a storm coming in that I knew was going to stay for at least two days. So I had an option either stay put for two days or try and get to the ferry on the train for 100 kilometres just to get ahead of myself. Okay, so, so then you landed into Rosslair, cycled up to Bray. Yeah, and even then I thought I was going to get stuck in Rosslair for I a day. I saw images on your Instagram of you stuck in a ferry somewhere. Was it the weekend? Yeah, that was in Rosslair Harbour. Okay. The, when, I got, when they opened the doors on the ferry, I actually got thrown backwards. The, the wind was so strong. I couldn't get off the ferry because the wind was so strong. So I had to shelter behind a lorry. And I sheltered behind a lorry until we went through the guard, the checkpoint, and then I just stayed in the terminal building for a couple of hours. How excited were you when you landed in back Ireland. into Ireland? That was great. I loved it. Do you know the first thing I loved was the smell of turf? 
burning and I hate the smell of turf. You know you're from Colorado. <laughs> I don't like the smell of turf. I think it ruins my washing. <laughs> but for that's some from, reason, that's from the stove. Yeah, but for the, some reason, when I was cycling along towards Wexford, I could smell turf and I thought, oh, I'm home. <laughs> but you must have felt absolutely incredible to think, you know, you had you'd set out this challenge, 30 yeah. days, two continents, do a 70.3 distance race and make your way yeah. home. I mean, do, do you pitch yourself to think back how incredibly amazing that was to do considering where you've come from <laughs> i wasn't it didn't feel amazing at the when i was going through some troubles in spain i actually thought what am i doing here yeah i don't know if you've seen the blog i did where i had a bit of an issue in spain no i didn't actually know no, i uh, google maps sent me the wrong way <laughs> and uh, i was on a lovely road and it said take this shortcut to the next village that i wanted to reach and it turned from rough road to gravel and then the gravel turned to a kind of dusty and okay. within about four kilometres, within like a split second, the whole bike clogged up oh, wow. with clay and for three hours I battled with it to try and knock it all out and carrying the bike and then I lost my phone and had to go back on myself and so it was three hours to do 10 kilometres and I broke down I started crying and screaming. Right. And... Uh, posted up on Facebook and did you want to give up um, a little bit of me was yeah but I knew I wouldn't what kept you going I know what I'm like I'm determined when I say so, I'm going to finish something I know I'm going to finish it is that something you've always had a trait of or is it something in recent years that you've kind of you know proven that you can do things and then say well I've, actually I've I can do this I've always had it and even when I was um, suffering with depression you know, I knew in the back of my mind there was always something to get out of it, get out of it, or set a goal, or... Even a little mini goal. Yeah, and even if somebody said, you can do this, or you... Or if somebody said, you can't do it, then I'm even more determined to okay. do it. So then you got to Kinnegad, then into Air Square in Galway, and then out to Clifton. Yeah, I got the... You know, because I got stuck in Ross Laird, there was a lovely storm, so it blew me all the way up to Bray. <laughs> <laughs> what was it a southerly wind yeah, yeah it was and I felt it my average went up about five kil- kilometres an hour okay and I got to, I couldn't wait to get to Greystones because I've been dying for a happy pair it's a nice lunch. for the happy pair there. yeah I loved that that was lovely yeah. I couldn't wait to get there for food so speaking of food, um, you know, you, you started this epic uh, journey home three days after the Ironman 70.3. So your body probably wasn't fully recovered after racing in the heat in Morocco. So how did you fuel yourself throughout the 30 days of your trek home? Because, yeah. you know, you hardly carried any food with you, I imagine. It was probably... A very limited amount of space on food. Because I the panniers I had and the bags I had on the bike, I kept everything to a very minimum to keep the weight down. Okay. And so I had an, enough room to carry a food to get me from one town to another. And then I'd restock up, you know, something like uh, cakes or biscuits or salted peanuts for the salt and, and the same with the fluid. And were you watching your calories as you were doing it or were no, you just I, getting everything no, into you that you could get in? just get everything in as much as you could because I was burning anything between six and 10,000 calories a day. Wow. So... I was just eating what I could, whatever was handiest. I wasn't going to get fussy about looking for a particular type of food, okay. especially in Morocco too. So when I'd stop for a coffee, extra sugar, stuff I would not recommend anyone to eat is the white sugar, but I didn't have any other options handy, you know, like honey or and any of the other. through the, yeah. to get through. So just lots of coffee, sugar, uh, croissants, cakes, 
biscuits, chocolate bars, and then I started drinking Coca-Cola, which is one thing I would definitely not recommend anyone to drink. Yeah. But... It got I, you through it, though. I needed something to just keep me going. Okay, so yeah. you were averaging, what was it? Between, 133. Yeah, 130, 100. Yeah. What was the longest day in the saddle? That was when I left Bordeaux. I had a town that I was going to called uh, Agiers. Okay. I think. I'm not quite sure if that's how you pronounce it. And it was just under 200 kilometres. But when I got there, there was no hotels anywhere in the whole city. There was, a, there was something on and I couldn't find anywhere, so I had to keep going through the night. I got... I did 230 kilometres that day. So did you just... You didn't have anything booked anywhere? You just kind no, of sure, rocked you, up to a town? You didn't know where... I suppose you didn't really know... You couldn't know book because if you had a breakdown be. or okay. if, you, if something happened to the bike or the weather and you had something booked, you'd lose that. Yeah. So it was basically get within an hour of somewhere okay. and then start booking. And did you stay with any family or did you make friends or meet people along the way that kind of took pity on you almost and brought you <laughs> in? I think I saw something about a family did, along the yeah. way at some point. In Morocco, I was cycling towards Rabat, the capital, and this gentleman came cycling up beside me and obviously looking at me, maybe my colour of my skin or even the bags in it, or there was a couple of stickers. I had a sticker on my helmet from the Ironman. He said, where'd you come from? And I said, Marrakesh. He said, you didn't do the Ironman. I said, I did. He said, so did I. So we got chatting as we were cycling and we just kept going. And after about an hour, he said, I want to invite you for lunch. So it didn't take me much to say yes on that. I said I was down for some nice food. Yeah, and he seemed like a really, really nice man too. So, you know, after an hour of chatting, you you know. You kind of know, yeah. 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 And the Moroccan people really are nice, you know, so. So you you were brought home to his family and then I believe you travelled. Did you travel with them to, to meet his parents parents or his yeah mom. so he did invite me then to stay overnight okay so I thought okay I'm still about 30 kilometres from where I wanted to go into the centre of that but I had no problem because after a few hours of being with him and seeing, yeah. meeting his family who were amazing people they're so nice you know they took me in and like into their home like yeah. a stranger it's and amazing how like you think about it the triathlon family yeah and just one little incident oh, like that a, of he, meeting they somebody were lovely yeah. yeah and they were so intrigued by my story so yeah and so I stayed for two nights because the next morning he said would you like to go to Fez to meet my my mother would love to meet you and that was like 250 kilometres inland from there okay and they'd probably never met an Irishman before no, and I don't never think mind so. an Irishman from Connemara a mad Irishman a mad Irishman from Connemara <laughs> And it was lovely, the amazing family you yeah. got there and she had little mini cakes made and carrot and orange juice and everything homemade. And then we yeah. went to the big Medina there. It's one of the biggest Medinas in the world. And you, you could get lost in there. You could, you know, if he wasn't there, I would have got lost. Okay. And there was all the little um, schools, you know, like uh, for teaching prayer and stuff in the middle and all the markets, the smell. Oh, it was amazing. And did you get time to, I suppose, ex- I know you were cycling through the beautiful areas and that, but did you get time to do any of the, I suppose, sightseeing bits off the bicycle or was it literally just enjoy the view as I cycle along and anything else is a bonus? Yeah, very much because I knew I wanted to do this within 30 days, so I knew my schedule as well. Okay. So, yeah, it was very much take it in as you're going through it. And what was the highlight of the whole trip? Meeting the Moroccan family. Really? Yeah, definitely. Were you ever afraid out on the trip on your own? I had one incident where I had young kids throw stones at me in one village and I stopped and told them to stop but they still continued so I just cycled as fast as I could 
And I do. I did research this. That uh, about twenty years ago, they had lots of issues with them throwing stones at uh, people cycling or tourists. But the government clamped down on it because they want tourists to come to Morocco. It's an amazing place for cycling and for touring like this. It really is. And that was the only incident. One out of the whole time I was in Morocco. So that's pretty good. And you weren't afraid, uh, like generally. Yeah, no, not no. I wasn't. No. Of even the loneliness. Of the being only on time own. I actually got scared was coming into Casablanca. Oh really? And that was the traffic. Okay. It was mayhem. Oh, I've never experienced anything like there was lorries, cars, buses everywhere, and I got pushed off into a ditch, including with a load of other cars by uh, some guy in a lorry because it was so we were all kind of squeezing into a, a like from four lanes into two, coming into the city, and uh, that was the scariest part. And what did you carry with you on the panniers? I mean, you didn't—you you obviously had to have a couple of changes of clothes. and. I had two sets of cycling kit with a few extra bits of weather for the rain and the weather. So I had to take stuff for the heat in Morocco, but also carry stuff for the cold and the wet as I came further north through Europe because of the time of the year. And were you completely self-sufficient, as in other than what you found yourself on yeah. the go? You didn't have any family? No. Along. no. I know they'd been in Morocco with you for yeah. the race, but not on the journey home at all? No, nothing, yeah. No. So and then I had one change of clothes for going out after I stopped, maybe if I was to go and look for food. I didn't want to wear the cycling kit. A little bit of camping gear and electronic gear, you know, for the phone and yeah. batteries and torches and stuff like that. And how did you recover every day? I mean, if you were doing an average of 133... Sleep. Yeah, but, but like, how where, did you get much sleep? You know, did you, yeah, did you get eight hours sleep a night? If you, did if you, you were going to cycle for six, eight, ten hours a day through extreme weather, mm. you know, you were tired, you just wanted to get food, showered. You kind of sleep. set up what you're going to do the next morning. As soon as you knew that was it, head down, sleep. So what was your fundraising target for the adventure? It was higher than I've set on my iFundraise page. Okay. Um, but I brought it down then to five thousand. And how? It's not, it's not a big amount, and it was never about the money at the yeah. start. I've how far from the target are you at the moment? I'm on about three thousand two hundred. And if people want to give you money and support it, where do they go to? They either go to my Facebook page to find the iFundraise link. Okay. Or you can put they, a link in there. Or they just do iFundraise dot ie stroke smithy did it one okay so we can see if we can try and get you some more money for the vincent de paul and the entry clinic It'd be good, yeah. in clifton so would you consider doing something like the transatlantic way cycle in ireland the self-supported cycle that happens i think it's in june and um, they do the four thousand kilometers yeah they come through clifton as well they do yeah they, yeah. they do a lot of the coastal well, route i've looked at that and that's definitely on the cards yeah yeah but um, there's a couple of other things I, I've planned now for next year. It's just in the mind at the moment. I haven't kind of really put it down on paper yet. You don't want to tell us what they are yet? Yeah, well, there's no reason to hold on to it. I want to either do uh, all-Ireland tour all the way around Ireland. Okay. And do talks as okay. do it on mental health. Okay. I think that would be a good idea. Or maybe even try and see how far I can cycle in 24 hours. I've looked up a few records on that. Okay. I'm sure an old man like me can... Well, I mean, if you look at Joe Barr and you look at Jason Black and you look at a few others around the country that are doing all this yeah. endurance stuff, even... I like the endurance appeal now. Do yeah. After this, I, I yeah. like it. I like the fact that I could cycle so hard through extreme conditions, rain, you know, and it's cold and everything gets wet and kind of recover from that and get the food in and then get, keep going the next day. When I stopped, 
my son wanted me actually to stop in the UK for a couple of days and I just didn't want to stop. Were you afraid you'd seize up? Yeah. Were you stretching a lot and stuff? Or no. Were you... No, and I normally do that all the time when I'm training. Stretching, yoga, I'm always about recovery, getting the right foods, the protein, making my, I make all my own recovery drinks at home. So I didn't take any, anything like that. But I think your mind can get you through that then. As long as you have the sleep and the food, doesn't matter what food, as long as you just get the food in, get the nutrients in. Well, I think when you're at the level you're at of, of cycling every day, but yeah. normally and, and for some of that long endurance stuff, you definitely need to hone in on the on the nutrition bit because you won't be able to continue at the intensity that you that you want to go at if you're not fueling yeah, your body properly. You know? 30 days is about, about a limit, I think. If you were to go beyond that, you'd start to probably struggle. Mm. I'd say you but did I well knew, to, I to survive what I was in. I knew what I was capable of doing. Yeah. I knew your that. mind probably took over more so than your... You know, the determination and the willpower to just get it done and know you had the target of 30 days. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, if you thought of anybody who wanted to do something similar or if somebody wanted to go and, and do a challenge similar to what you've done, what would be your biggest piece of advice for them? Biggest piece of advice? Definitely have the right equipment. And I'm talking about equipment as in clothing. Okay. Because when it rained... If you don't have the right equipment, you won't last one hour. In I mean, the rain that hit me in southern France and coming over the, the mountains in northern Spain was ex- you know the heaviest rain I've experienced. And it was cold because there was snow and they were getting snowed in in certain parts of Spain. I only just got out in time. So the right sh- footwear to keep the rain out. I was using plastic bags between my shoes and my socks. over socks. Oh, yeah, yeah, I had plastic bags between them to keep the rain out. Um the right type of jacket I invested in a good jacket that made a massive difference um, good gloves so the right kit is, is all important yeah, I've proved you can do it on a bike that's only 270 pound it's four maybe five years old I just did a little bit of maintenance before I left I had the local bike shop just put a few little bit of new pieces on it um, so the proof is you can do it on a on a budget on a budget bike yeah. easy enough it just has if, to be road if you were to do it again would you do anything differently yeah do it in the summer <laughs> <laughs> well, considering the rain that was in Clifton today when we were trying to dry down. trying to dry my kit every night mm. was hard you'd get to a hotel in Spain that had no radiators so that was tough you'd have to use every resource you could to try and get your clothes dry uh, and then when I did find hotels at radiators you know, it was like a sauna in the bedroom. The, the, the damp <laughs> rising of the clothes. <laughs> that was um, tough. You know, when you, when you think of your story, Simon, and where you've come from, you know, from being a young child and, and being abused and then, um, you know, like the separation with your wife and the depression and all of that as you move through your life, sport has become such a huge part of it now. Do you ever see yourself not doing some form of triathlon or sport in the future? No. I can't. This yeah. I and seeing like you mentioned, there was a gentleman who did Kona in his eighties. That's that's going to be me now for the next thirty forty years. It's it. It's not just sport. It's exercise. It's just lifestyle as well. You know the fact that I changed my diet and my. I, I don't even like the word diet. I called everything just a healthy living so so like do you would you cut out certain foods now or are you yeah. vegan or do you just no I tried to go vegetarian for a while and okay. I, 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 I did that before Wales I did that okay. for like 10 months before Wales and then once I finished Wales 
I went straight back onto the meat. Yeah, big steak. Yeah, I couldn't. Well, I don't eat red meat. Don't eat red meat. Okay. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So uh, everything else is in moderation. The 80-20 rule. But I'm a sucker for biscuits, unfortunately. I was going to ask, what's your vice? <laughs> biscuits. <laughs> and when you came back to Clifton, what was the one thing you wanted, food-wise? Uh, mashed like, potato. Really? Yeah. Loads of butter. Oh, Irish butter. Oh, I love Irish butter. You and I want a pint it. of Guinness. No, I don't drink it. Don't drink it all. I very drink, I very really? rarely drink. Yeah. I might have a few pints here and there, but okay. when I'm training, you might be lucky if it's one or two drinks a month. Yeah. Yeah, so... And if there's if there's anybody listening who maybe is struggling and it's you know this show will be out on Wednesday um so it's coming up to Christmas very close to it and it's a tough time for people regardless of their age or their lifestyle or anything it can be a very tough time with the expectation that Christmas is supposed to be this perfect thing or whatever you know families struggle at Christmas people are struggling at Christmas generally and they're struggling in their lives every day so if there's somebody listening to the show who maybe is in need of some help, um, where do you suggest that they go to or, or where should they turn to maybe for some support or what should they do? If, for me, I think if it's, um, if it's say, a mental health problem, even if it's just d- d- depression for someone and they feel really bogged down, they have to talk to someone. Someone close by, family, friend, just talk. Because if you hold it back, it's just going to fail. It's going to get worse and worse and worse. It's going to make you feel worse. Mm. So once you get talking to someone and share your problem with them, I'm sure they'll help you. They might even guide you to the right uh, person to talk to. You know, for me, it was the counselling here in the therapy centre. So if not, go to a doctor. You know, they're going to send you in the right direction. And that was key. I but the, you but have reach to, out for help. You have to reach out. You have to talk. Okay. If they're not able to do that at the start, it's just a matter of just getting out, don't stay bogged in, you know, like say sitting indoors and being on your mobile phone or just locking yourself away. Get out, bit of exercise. It, it, it makes such a difference, doesn't it? Just five mm. minute walk, that fresh air. So know. for 2020, yeah. what are your big challenges or goals? Are you going to race another Ironman next year or is all of the focus going to be on the wedding? <laughs> um... Will you be given another free pass to do a crazy activity? Uh, that's um, that's debatable. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Iron Man is not cheap. Well, you know, so uh, weddings aren't cheap. That's true. But um, I'm sure I can fit in a couple of races. You know, I'm. Last year, I wanted to try and do in the BMW series. Okay, for triathlon. Yeah, yeah, and then I realised after a couple of races, I picked the wrong ones. Yeah. And I didn't get the points that I wanted for the effort I was putting in. Okay. I realised that uh, there's a bit more um, strategy to the right races to get the right points in that. So this year I've decided I'm only going to do two this year, the, the Sprint and Olympic National Championships. Because I, like, I want to try and improve on my results from last year. Um, Ironman, mm, maybe not, because I've got a couple of other ideas that I want to do. A couple of endurance events of my own making. You know, to highlight uh, mental health okay. issues, you know, that's going to be my biggest thing, I think, this year, is to try and help people with mental health issues. Well, Simon, thank you so much for joining us here today. It's absolutely amazing listening to your story. And if anybody wants to support Simon, they can do so on his uh, fundraising page. We'll put a link to that in the, the show notes. Simon, happy Christmas and happy Christmas to Wendy as well. And best of luck for the future in all that you do. And thanks for joining us on the show today. Thank you, Joanne. Thank you for having me. 
I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you want to follow Simon's next adventures, you can find him on SimonSmith09 on Instagram and you can support his fundraising by going to www.ifundraise.ie forward slash smithydidit1. Thanks as always for tuning in. Big shout out to everyone who has been listening in and sending messages to me about the show. I've had some really cool messages on Instagram. So thank you to everybody who's gotten in touch. If you're enjoying the shows, feel free to pop a review on Apple Podcasts or on the Facebook page, Try Talking Sport. I do love hearing the feedback on the interviews. And if you have a suggestion for a guest, why not pop me an email to trytalkingsport at gmail.com. That's try with an I, not a Y. Until next time, stay happy. Oh, and have fun this Christmas because you absolutely do deserve it. Happy Christmas, everybody. See you soon.